that uh, they invited back since he was very close to the family. And uh, he was going to participate as well uh, in this service. And he and I were talking before the service began. And uh, he said, well, what are you going to be talking about when you get up? And so I told him uh, what I was going to say and how I was going to approach my portion uh, of the service. And he kind of nodded, uh, acknowledging that. And then as the service began and he went before me, he got up and said everything that I was going to say. I don't know if he just happened to remember that because it was the last thing he heard or exactly what the situation was, but it dawned on me that I had about five minutes to come up with something else uh, as far as that service was concerned. And so things can certainly uh, be awkward uh, at various times. But as we're looking into uh, God's Word this morning, 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, in the story of David, and before I get started with that, let me tell you, uh, Richard Patton was originally going to be with me uh, this morning. And uh, his wife, Leanne, uh, developed some sort of an eye injury close to the retina, which was pretty serious. And then the doctor, eye doctor, told her that really she should not travel. Uh, and so Richard did part of what he had planned to do as far as congregations that he was going to visit, but he really needed uh, to get back home and make sure that uh, she was doing uh, okay. Uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of filling in for him uh, this morning and, and thankful uh, for the opportunity. But Leanne is doing better, uh, and the eye is healing, and so they're thinking that there really shouldn't be any other difficulties uh, with that eye, and so we're thankful for that. I've always been intrigued with the story of Naaman, uh, for a couple of, of different reasons. Now, obviously, uh, when you talk about Naaman, uh, we have to kind of go back and, and get a little bit of the, uh, of the background uh, that's going to be there. Uh, and Micaiah was prophesying uh, against Ahab. Uh, the end of Ahab's reign was going to be talked about uh, in the beginning portions of chapter 22, uh, verses 1 to 40, because Ahab was a wicked king. And a matter of fact, when you look at all the kings of Israel, there wasn't one righteous king among them. Of all the kings that ruled over Israel, not one was righteous. And Ahab was maybe not even the worst of the lot, but he, he was wicked nonetheless and did not do what the Lord wanted him to do. Uh, so he and Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah uh, at the time, made an alliance to fight the, the Arabians. Uh, and all of this is talked about in chapter 22. The prophets of Ahab assured him of victory. They were not godly prophets, but they said, yeah, go ahead, go out to war. Uh, the, the Lord's going to give them uh, into your hand. But Micaiah reveals a different outcome. And his was one that was not favorable at all to King Ahab. And as you're reading down through that account, Ahab becomes very angry with Micaiah because he's not giving his <coughs> blessings to what Ahab wants to do. But instead, Micaiah really speaks the things of the Lord as far as the truth of the matter is concerned. And he's telling Ahab, don't go and fight uh, because you're not going to win. Uh, this is not going to be 
uh, in your favor. Ahab is protesting that type of preaching from Messiah uh, as you get to that particular portion. And then again, the, the end of Ahab's reign is uh, talked about. And the royal apparel, uh, because of an alliance between Jehoshaphat and, and Ahab, they had come up with a plan, really, that Jehoshaphat was going to kind of dress up and pretend like he was Ahab. And so if there was going to be a problem, then the opposing army would chase after who they thought was Ahab, but actually, in fact, was Jehoshaphat. Uh, and so that worked at least for a time. Uh, but then uh, it didn't find complete success. As you turn to the uh, 22nd chapter of uh, 2 Kings, this arrow that finds him uh, is something that, uh, as you read these particular uh, portions of this account, uh, the truth comes out. Verse 34 of 1 Kings 22. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. So Ahab is removed from battle and indeed uh, is going to die from that wound. And that's all we're told in connection with this particular battle. And then as 1 Kings comes to a close and 2 Kings begin, of course, Elijah is the prophet in 1 Kings, and he's going to give way to Elisha. And as Elisha begins to become the prophet uh, of Israel, things are continuing to, to go in somewhat agreeable manner for him. But then we come to 2 Kings chapter 5. And this is where we are by name introduced to a man named Naaman. Now as we think about these, Naaman, and this is the, the child portion of the program because all of these are kind of animated uh, slides. It's just difficult to find good slides for PowerPoint when you're trying to come up with different things. But Naaman was a ferocious, fearful warrior. As a matter of fact, as you read in the beginning portions of chapter 5, Naaman was considered to be a great man among the Syrians and also in the eyes of his king. He was revered as a hero among his countrymen and a deliverer from their enemies. And one of the reasons for that is because of what we read in 1 Kings chapter 22, when Ahab is killed. But we're only given a little bit of information. As Naaman is helping Syria achieve deliverance from their enemies, there's also something that is responsible or brought to our attention as far as uh, Naaman is concerned. That certain man that's mentioned in uh, verse 34 of 1 Kings 22, is none other than Naaman. Josephus, the Jewish historian, in his works will mention uh, Naaman by name in his historical accounts. Now in the scriptures, we don't read anything about Naaman until we come to 2 Kings chapter 5. But in the uh, history of Josephus, uh, 
And as you read about Ahab and some of the other things concerning his life, he brings out the fact that it was Naaman who was the one who fired that arrow that eventually took Ahab's life. And so we get a little bit of background as far as that is concerned. And Naaman, because of his greatness and because of his growing popularity, he wanted to achieve great things, as a lot of people do. And each and every one of us may have our own dreams as far as what we want to accomplish, as far as life is concerned. And many of those things might even come to pass. But as Naaman is continuing to gain victories for his king, as he is continuing to gain influence among his uh, fellow countrymen, there's also one particular element as far as Naaman is concerned, and that is the fact that he was a leper. And so regardless of what he wanted to do, Naaman realized that he was going to be greatly hindered as far as his life was concerned because of this leprosy. Now there's different kinds of leprosy that are going to be talked about as far as even some of the medical journals and everything else are concerned. Some forms of leprosy are, are lethal uh, and will take your life. Uh, now Naaman, it appears, at least at this point, had a type of leprosy that wasn't that severe as far as his uh, uh, effects were concerned. But still, leprosy was something that was to be avoided. Uh, and people that had leprosy were to be avoided. And if you touched someone with uh, leprosy, then you were put away from the camp. And most certainly, if you had leprosy, you were put away from the camp. And you just couldn't interact with other people. And so it's, it's interesting that Naaman, uh, being a leper, is able to accomplish even some of the things that he's already done as far as his life is concerned as a commander, knowing that he has this particular disease. But yet, obviously, his, his soldiers thought well of him. The king loved him, held him in very high esteem. And during the course of his victories in the early uh, portions of chapter 5 of 2 Kings, we're told that as they went out and conducted their raids, he took captives, and among those captives was a, uh, a girl, young girl, Israelite girl. And she's able then to be able to tell the wife of Naaman who she was ministering to, you know, it's too bad he's not in this particular part of the world in Samaria because there's somebody there that can actually heal him. And of course, that's going to get everybody's attention because nobody thought that that was going to, even going to be possible at this particular time. And so this wife of Naaman is very curious about this particular person that this young Israelite girl, this maiden, uh, uh, tells her about. And as she begins to learn more and more, then she goes to Naaman and tells him what has been told to her. And of course, it is worth considering. And so as Naaman is continuing to go, he is told and he presents this to his king. And his king writes a letter to the new king of Israel and says, 
take this letter, go to the king of Israel, and present this letter, and we'll see what happens, basically, is what's going to be. But they were willing to pay great sums for this. And so his name then goes, and he addresses the king, as was read in the account read to us earlier this morning, the king of Israel just becomes very irate. Well, who am I? Why is he sending them to me? Who am I that I'm going to be able to do anything for this man? But Elisha hears about this, and Elisha says, send him to me. Now, as things are, are going, as he comes to Elisha, Elisha, and this is kind of something in many ways that we can identify with, Elisha sends out a messenger. Now, I want you to kind of think about this for a moment. If you're in a dire situation, whether it's a medical situation or something else, and you're going to somebody who has great expertise or perhaps even the ability to heal you or correct whatever situation you may be in, and you've gone, you've gone to great lengths in order to reach that person, and then when you reach that person, they don't come out. They send somebody else, which would obviously be a lesser person and just a messenger. Because I've had that types of situations before, both attending with my family, taking children to doctors or whatever it happens to be, and you're looking to get to the, the top person that's going to be in charge of, of the healing and whatever, and when you get there, they send out a nurse. Well, I love nurses, and nurses are very valuable, and they're probably even more valuable than doctors sometimes, but you want to talk to the doctor. Well, here comes Naaman. Naaman doesn't want to talk to the messenger. He wants to talk to the healer. And so in order for this messenger to come out, to Naaman was a great insult. As a matter of fact, I mean, here's this great warrior that's looking to be able to accomplish something great in the eyes of everybody and all he had is this messenger that comes out with a message from Naaman. And in the heat of battle, he says, why do I have to go to the Jordan River? Why can't I go to the Barbar River in Syria? Or the Abana River? Or Amina, uh, as some people may pronounce it. It's got both pronunciations. Now this is an older drawing picture of what would be the Farbar River uh, in Syria. Not very well depicted. This is a newer picture of it. And uh, this kind of shows a little bit more as far as the waters uh, are concerned. And then, well, let me go back a little bit. Now my clicker is not working. There we go. Here's the far bar. This, this portion of the far bar river shows you a, a, a much clearer picture of what was probably in the mind of Naaman at the time. And 
these were the types of waters that he was more familiar with. And so this river, he, he would say, well, there's no reason for me to go to the Jordan. I mean, what is the Jordan to me, you know? And then this is the Anna River, or the Abba River. Uh, and again, it's, it's fresh, it's sparkling. Uh, it was thought among the people, uh, especially Naaman, to be clearer, brighter, colder than the Jordan that made it more suitable for cleansing uh, and healing. And so you can kind of get a picture of this uh, as far as uh, Naaman's thinking is concerned. This is a portion of the Jordan River. Uh, and you can probably think that Naaman had some idea about this Jordan River. Uh, this one also is the Jordan River. Now this is a little bit better picture. Uh, shows a little bit more of the rushing water as far as some portions of the Jordan River uh, are concerned. Uh, and then this yet another view of another portion of the River of Jordan. But it just doesn't look the same as the Abaddon or the Farmer does it. And so, Naaman is thinking, why do I have to go there rather than go over here? These would be more suitable. But the word of the Lord from this messenger through Elisha was, you go to the Jordan. And as he goes to the Jordan and as he's trying to consider uh, some of these things, then as he's looking at this, he begins to kind of think, well, I'm not really sure. But then one of the fellow soldiers of Naaman says, now listen, you're wanting to do something great. And that's really what he was expecting from Naaman. Naaman was going to come out. Naaman as this great prophet of God, and he was going to announce something majestic as far as Naaman was concerned, and in the eyes of all of these people, something grand was going to happen, and, and Naaman was going to perhaps be healed. And then that went south in a hurry because all he gets is this messenger. Uh, doesn't even get Elisha. And gets told to do something that was way beneath his dignity. And that's really what he was thinking. And even as he's going to rush off and not do anything, and that's a choice. And this is a choice that a lot of people deal with today. If you were to do something, even though you don't think it's what you were expecting, uh, or it just really kind of sounds beneath you, would you do something in order to change your situation, or do you prefer just to stay where you are? And it's sad that many people today will say, well, I just didn't stay where I am. And that's, in the, that's what they end up doing. But as he's being approached by his soldier, he says, you know, if you've been told to do something great, you've done it. Why don't you just go do this and see what happens? You've got nothing to lose. And so he's thinking about it, and he decides to do it. Well, that didn't go well. So they go to the, the bank of the Jordan River. It looks a lot bluer in this picture than it did in the real one. But they're standing on the bank of the river. And now everybody's watching. And as they're watching from the shore, 
Naaman goes in. I chose this particular picture because you never know what you're going to get when people are told to be dipped seven times. Sometimes they'll just pour water on and they're thinking that that's going to accomplish the same thing. This one here, at least with all the circles there, you know he's under the water. And so as he's under the water, we're just going to assume he's under the water for the seventh time. He does what he's been told to do. Don't do it six times. And don't try to do it eight times. You do it seven times. And as he comes up out of the water on the seventh time, he's clean. Something that was beneath him, something that didn't rise to his level of majesty, is what he needed. Amen. Now, why did not Elisha go out to him? Because Naaman would have given credit to Elisha. And Elisha needs to make him understand, this is not me. So he sent the messenger. Whether it's the messenger or whether it's Elisha or whether it's a preacher of the gospel, what is the saving factor is God and the power of his word. And Naaman needed to see that. As a matter of fact, when he comes up out of the water, he says, now I know that there is no God except the God who is in Israel. And so he understands the importance of obedience. And the reason that I kind of chose this today <coughs> is the fact that regardless of who you are in the church, whether you're an elder, whether you're a preacher, member of the church, deacon, whatever it happens to be. God's word is under attack, and some of those attacks are even coming from within the church. What we are facing in the church today is a loss of humility. That's what Naaman's problem was. Naaman was not a humble man. And what he was missing was humility. And the only way that he was going to be healed was for that humility to rise to the surface and do what he was told to do. But we've got people today in the church, some in my own family, that will not recognize the authority of God's word and what he wants them to do. And so they're trying to change the word. They're trying to change the truth. And you're just not going to be able to do that. I was talking with a preacher friend of mine just a few days ago, and uh, he said, I've got the same problem in my family. So it attacks everybody, and of course, this is Satan at work. And people are trying to come up with a relationship with Jesus. They want a relationship with Jesus, but they want it apart from the Word. And again, that's true of all family. And I've just had to tell people, you know, you can't separate Jesus from the Word. He is the Word. How can you separate Jesus from himself? It, it just isn't possible. But that's what many in the world today are trying to do. And it just isn't going to work. And so what we need are people to humble themselves before God 
and recognize his authority. Because in that authority is true healing. When we think about the story of Naaman and why he was healed and how he was healed, it was just a simple act of obedience. But that obedience required humility. And when we are coming to the Father through Christ, when we are confessing our sins, we need to be humble. And we need to realize we are the ones in need of the cleansing, not God. And God will hear our prayers, and God will answer our prayers, and God will heal us, but we need to be humble people. Naaman learned that lesson. He encountered true abilities, and he encountered true greatness when he came into the presence of God. Not Elisha, of God. And he recognized that fact. So much so, an interesting part of that story that doesn't get a lot of uh, publicity, so to speak, is the fact that as Naaman was going back to Syria, what did he take with him? Do you remember? Dirt. Dirt. He took two mules of dirt. And what that means is, as much as two mules of dirt, he put dirt from Israel in a bag and took it back because he said, this dirt is Israel's dirt. This is God's dirt. It's not like the gods we serve. Well, I'm going to take this dirt back to Syria, and when I build an altar, it's going to be on this dirt, not our dirt. There's something about this dirt. He still didn't get the whole message, but he was on his way. And that's what he did. But what the, the story about Naaman stands out to me is the fact that he learned humility and he just obeyed a simple and the world today, especially in the religious world, they want to change what is something that is very simple and make it very hard. Why can't you just do what God said to do and allow him to do the saving like he said he was going to do and, and let that go in that? And so Saul of Tarsus was another one. What he says in, in uh, Acts 22, 16, as Ananias comes to him, Saul, why carry yourself? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, washing away your sins. It's just a very simple thing. But the world wants to make it into a grand thing. And when you hear people give testimonies of their saving experience, it gets more and more grandeur all the time. It's something that's simple. It doesn't have to be a great work that we've done because it never will be a great work that we've done. It's always gone. Who does the work? And Paul brings that out for us in seven, or excuse me, Colossians chapter 2. The spiritual circumcision is performed. When God creates the new man, he does that in baptism. And as we're raised to walk in the newness of life, God is the one who's done all the work. We've just simply obeyed the command. And he wants us to be humble people and obey that command. Uh, and so as we look at that, uh, we, we think about those particular thoughts. But this is what the world needs to hear. Salvation is not a hard thing. Salvation is a very simple thing. 
It just means listening to God. And let God tell you what to do. Let God be the authority of your life. Listen to the words of God because Jesus spoke the words of God and no other words. As a matter of fact, even Jesus said, I do not speak on my own authority, but whatever it is the Father gives me to speak. And he said the same thing about the Spirit. So if we're listening to the truth, it's going to be God's truth because he's the only source of truth. And Jesus said, thy word is true. Give ourselves to God's truth. Give ourselves to God's authority. Walk in His light each and every day. And as we mentioned in our class, then we can know that we are saved because we've done what God has told us to do. As we think upon these particular thoughts, as we offer the invitation for this morning, <coughs> there may be some here this morning that involved in, in various struggles, and we all struggle. And Satan is, is going to try his best to keep us struggling, but God can take the struggles away. And even if we're in the, the midst of those struggles, God's going to help us to be able to endure because he provides the strength, and he's going to see us through it. So if you've got struggles that are taking place at this time, brothers and sisters who love you and care for you <clears throat> want to pray for you and help you. Let them know that you're struggling so that they can do that. And then the God of all comfort, who teaches us how to give comfort, will be able through the brothers and sisters to offer that comfort. And if you're here this morning and you haven't put on Jesus in baptism in a very simple act of obedience, just humble yourself before God and recognize that he is God and give yourself to him. They stand ready to help you with that this morning as well. Whatever is taking place in your life, Jesus is not uh, just have, have the answer. He is the answer. Give yourself to him. And if we can help you in any way this morning, then we invite you to respond to the invitation as together we stand and as we sing. Go. Uh -huh.